In a world needing the horses more now than ever, the horses can't bring their magic, medicine, and message without the courage and leadership of equine-assisted practitioners. Welcome to Soulful Money and Mindset, the podcast for equine-assisted practitioners. Welcome to Soulful Money and Mindset, where we support equine-assisted practitioners with knowledge, tools, and resources needed to build the business of your dreams. Today, I'm here with Tracy Scott, and she and her husband, Blaine, are stewards of the wild horses at Steadfast Deeds in Colorado. Tracy is the president and founding partner of Steadfast Deeds, Mustang Horse Sanctuary of Western Colorado say it all properly. She's been involved with horses for 50 years. Now you must have started at birth. There's no way you are 50, but the past 15 have focused on extensive study, advocacy, and partnerships with wild horses. Now as an equine assisted learning certified and approved facilitator, Tracy socializes Mustangs for coaching work while educating the public about wild horses. Tracy's husband and cause partner, I love that, cause partner Blaine, is an E3A level one practitioner. And together with the Mustang Mentors, they empower people through their Liberty Liberty Life coaching program. Now, Tracy is also known as Grit. And she and Blaine enjoy their grandkids, their family, their dogs, and all the horses. They truly are stewards of our wild horses at Steadfast Deed Sanctuary Project, as I have personally visited your facility on multiple occasions. And I can see that you guys carry that out 100%. Tracy, welcome. And thank you for taking a moment to be with us here today, because I know you and Blaine are uber busy. (laughs) Thank you, Laura. I'm really happy to be here. And yeah, I mean, having uh, 20 equines on property and then advocacy on the range does, does take some time. So yeah, it just is what it is. Have you ever just wanted to duplicate yourself, clone yourself? Yes, multiple times. I'm not sure it's possible to make any more than one gritty wild horse girl. (laughs) Hey, you know what? That nickname, I have got to know. How did that come about? (laughs) The way I describe myself is just gritty because initially it started because being in Western Colorado, it's so dry and it's hot. And when you go outside, you kind of sweat just a little bit and then the wind blows and then it kind of sticks to you and it's in your teeth and it's just kind of gritty. (laughs) (laughs) but then it it morphed into gritty wild horse girl. And then um, Blaine's the one that said, Oh yeah. The definition of grit describes me um, in perseverance and fortitude and stick with it um, with all kinds of tenacity is. So he just, he coined the grit name and calling me grit just by (laughs) virtue of how, how we stick to it and how we um, survive this desert lifestyle. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah. I know, you know, grit um, and we'll get into that. That really is a wonderful uh, energy that seems to run as a theme through your work and your life. Yeah. You know, how did you um, get involved with Mustangs in the first place, Tracy? Yeah. You know, I believe that the creator of the universe put the Mustang horse in my heart before he placed me on this planet. And when I was a child, 
horses were everything to me. I, I think it was one of probably my first words. And I'm, I'm a city girl. I grew up in Kansas City and my dad was an account executive at a marketing firm, an advertising firm, and he worked for the Kansas City Chiefs. So the horses, I had to fight tooth and nail to have a horse in my life. And my dad was pretty good at obliging me. So that, you know, comes from, where does that come from? I don't know. It's, it's in our soul. It's in our being when we, when we start off in life. And I'm here to tell you too, that my daughter was, was like, mom, horses are your thing. And we tried, we tried for her to be a horse girl. She just wasn't interested. She likes dogs. Okay. That's cool. Um, <laughs> but then we get, when I was a child, I read stories by a woman named Marguerite Henry. Marguerite Henry wrote a whole bunch of different books about horses. Um, she wrote Misty of Chincoteague. She wrote uh, Bridie of the Grand Canyon. She wrote Black Gold about a, a thoroughbred. And she wrote a book called Mustang, Wild Spirit of the West. And I read that in grade school. Um, it's actually a pretty violent book um, because it, 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 it's really Wild Horse Annie's memoirs and um, how she did what she did to get a law put into place for to protect our wild horses. At the time, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And I, I just was so enamored with it and so drawn to it. But then, you know, life happens and boys happen and children happen. And then then we become empty nesters and it comes up again. And we moved to a place when we were in ministry, we moved to Grand Junction where there is a, um, a herd management area or we call it a range because of certain parameters it has, but a range of wild horses, um, uh, 36,000 acres right adjacent to Grand Junction where we live. And I was so excited to be able to be close to a wild herd and support the wild herd. I, I already had in my stewardship a half Mustang and I wanted to know more about the wild ones. Well, then the rest is history. <laughs> I was drawn in like nobody's business. We adopted our first Mustang in 2007 after a gather of that range of horses um, called the Little Bookcliffs. She gave birth six, eight weeks after she came to us. <laughs> so we went from one horse to three on two acres. Oh, wow. So you got a bonus horse. <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't know if you call it really a bonus though, because it's taking care of them for their life. That's costly. <laughs> but anyway, we said, wow, we need more land. And it was at that time that I learned about the holding facility. And so what that means is we gather up wild horses, uh, excess wild horses from public land. And Oftentimes I have a, an adoption right after the gather, but then horses that aren't adopted at that public adoption go to where I said, what happens to them? Um, at the particular adoption that I'm referring to, there were 55 horses pulled and 44 were adopted. And I'm like, what happens to the other 11? And that was when I learned of the holding facility and the holding facility is no life for any horse, let alone a wild horse. Um, their families are completely separated when they go to the facility. On the range, they're, they are very tightly knit and they're very um, dependent and loving on one each other, on one another. So when we take them off the range, we, we send the boys this way, we send the girls this way, and the babies another direction. The law mandates that the stallions are castrated. So their entire job is stripped from them. 
when we put them in this holding facility. And I'm like, my tax dollars are paying for what? And it really, um, I really felt like it, it needed to be brought to the surface as far as the American public is concerned, because we're all stewards of the wild horses. Our tax dollars go into that. And most people have no idea. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So then, then steadfast deeds evolved out of that. I said, I, I want to bring that to light. And we started the sanctuary and we said, we have to have some way to support ourselves <laughs> through this process because the wild horses, they don't have money. They barely have a voice through advocates. So what do we need to do to support the cause? And it was at that time I became certified in an equine assisted learning modality. And we started utilizing the Mustangs to do life coaching with, with them as the co-facilitators. And it's beautiful and magical. And it has evolved like I, I just could not have imagined at the time when we started. Um, and that then drew Blaine in eventually the horses drew Blaine in to um, also become certified in, in a type of um, equine assisted learning. So now we're partnering together to get people in front of horses and horses in front of people, because when that connection happens, people want to help the horses. They want to be a voice. So they want to come volunteer or they want to um, better themselves by learning from the wild horses. Yeah. So Tracy, what makes the Mustangs so uniquely fit for equine assisted coaching? Yeah, I'm glad to Or EAL or, you know, equine assisted psychotherapy for that matter. Sure, sure. Any kind of equine assisted learning where we get to, um, the horse gets to participate and, and help us become better at being humans. Um, I, I was pondering earlier about all horses are good at this. All horses make excellent coaching horses um, because of the way that they function in their lives. And they're much more energetic beings and less head driven than we humans are. Um, as prey animals, they all have the ability to give non-judgmental feedback. So horses are magical in general. Um, if we put out the idea that domestic horses are domestic horses because for generations, They've lived in captivity. They um, probably have been uh, brought up by a two-legged and learned a lot of horse language through a two-legged uh, human. And the human has provided all the needs that the horse has. They don't have to wander and look for things like minerals and uh, food and it's all presented to them. The wild horse in contrast needs us not at all, not at all. They, they live their entire lives, if we allow them to, in the wild, not needing anything from humans. So when we bring them in and we offer them the opportunity to be in relationship with us, they have to say, I'm going to trust you, a predator, to take care of me to help my needs get met because I'm not going to be able to do it myself anymore. If you put a fence around me, you put me in a barn or something like that. So they become, we become part of their herd and they start to see people as part of their herd. How do we get along as part of a herd? Well, safety, we all offer each other safety and we care for one another. Um, Linda Kahanov says, no matter how good you are at hiding things from yourself and others, your nervous system still involuntarily broadcasts what you're really feeling. 
at a frequency horses are especially good at tuning into. So horses in general are good at tuning into this. But when you lay this over on a wild horse who has a huge energetic field and a huge bubble because their safety depends on it, and they are looking for their own safety because they don't depend on us, they got great crap detectors. And they're able to, to respond to subtle changes within our being, whether we're being predator or prey or present or not. And they give us really instant non-judgmental feedback. And we can do it without even physically being in contact with them. Mm, wow. Yes. Yeah, that, that was something that I have noticed um, each time I've been up to, you know, work alongside you guys with the yes. horses is that um, for lack of a better term, they just seem to have a, a bigger bubble, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it, they, they move um, quicker and more easily, you know, just the slightest shift in the client mm-hmm. and boom, you know, whereas with my own horses, which were all domestic horses, you know, it mm-hmm. seems like it can sometimes, not always, but a lot of times it takes a little more push out of the clients. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that yeah. is the thing I so, have to notice. Yeah. And it's not bad or good or right or wrong. It's just different. Mm-hmm. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And and so oftentimes too, um, because horses teach us the power of slowing, wild horses really teaches the power of slowing because sometimes you got to be just still and present for a little while longer to get some kind of response or lean in or something from the wild horse that a a domestic horse might have a little bit different timing on. Uh, We were on the range recently and we sat in the car and had our lunch and we were probably there 20 or 30 minutes. And then this family band came sauntering in we, we were still and present long enough that they felt safe to come in to have a drink of water. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, Tracy, I, I wanted you to share, um, you and I were holding a conversation earlier uh, about some stallions that had brought the babies in because mama was absent for whatever reason. Yeah. I found that fascinating about the family unit of these wild horses. Yeah. And so please share with our audience what you've observed. Yeah, you bet. Um, wild horses and their complex social system are incredible models, non-clinical, non-medical models for us to um, look at and say, how can we be more like the wild horse? Um, they have the lead mare is Everyone trusts her. Everyone believes that she has their best interest in mind and she's going to take good care of them. Um, The stallion, his role as protector and procreator. So he protects for the right to procreate. His job is just to make sure everyone goes and he brings up the rear. So when there's, when there are mares involved, usually you see, a stallion that's a protector and maybe some babies, maybe not depends on the time of year. Um, Recently I have seen activity with stallions and foals that I've never witnessed before. And that doesn't mean it doesn't happen and other people haven't seen it, but this is the first time I'd witnessed it. Um, And in the last couple of days I have seen stallions with baby horses and no mares around Uh, on one range, uh, 
uh, who knows where the, where the mother is, but on our game cam, we've seen the stallion come to water multiple times with about a three month old full. And we haven't seen mom anywhere. Doesn't mean she's not out in the trees or that he's trying to teach this, the youngster to be um, a lead stallion in his own right. And here's how you be brave and show the way for the herd. Who knows? It just was extraordinary to see multiple different times the stallion coming in with this full um, in a in a gather that's happening in Colorado right now, a different group of horses. And a mare was gathered and the foal was separated. And a little while later, a stallion came with the foal looking for mom in the trap. So he brought her this little filly, probably days old to the trap site because he knew that's where mom probably was. And that's where her safety was because she needed to be with mom. And he sacrificed his freedom for the sake of the foal getting back to mom. Uh, later in that day, or maybe a day later, two stallions brought a young horse to the trap site because mom was there and the horses knew it. And they also sacrificed their freedom to bring this foal to the trap site so she could be reunited with her mother. Now of those three stallions, one of them did jump out and get away, <laughs> which I was going, you go buddy. You did the absolute most heroic job you could have possibly done. And all for the sake of safety of safety the, for the foal. They knew the foal wouldn't survive without mama. So wow. they, they did wow. what they knew they had to do to be able to, make the full safe, get the full to safety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in watching, witnessing things like that mm -hmm. is not only heartwarming, but it's enlightening yeah. to look at the intelligence level yes. of these animals. Yes. So, yes. and you know, more and more research is coming out. I know um, coming up at the uh, E3A conference, we've got Dr. Steve Peters, who is yes. going to be there to really bring a lot of this to light. So we're, and thank you for helping bring that about. We're all oh, looking yeah. forward to that, that keynote and, and just soaking in his uh, expertise and his wisdom. Yeah. And well, and speaking of the conference, what is it that you're going to be uh, teaching us about at the conference? Well, hopefully herd mentality <laughs> from the, from the wild horses perspective, meaning how do they interact and how can we take that interaction and apply it to our own horses or our own relationships um, in that complex social system of the family band. Yeah. Ooh, that yeah. sounds rich. Can't wait yeah. to hear it. Right. Right. Fun <laughs> stuff. Maybe I'll have you um, um, volunteer to participate. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, you know, Tracy, there's such a, uh, there's so much to know and learn around the plight of our wild horses. And I've heard you mention before about them being in grave danger. Mm. Tell us about, you know, what is, what's going on? Yeah. My sense of the, the grave danger that they are facing is human encroachment. We're moving physically moving into areas where wild horses live. Um, and what's kind of uh, contradictory to that is we've, we've given them the land that no one else wants. And so how can we allow them to continue to live there? They're very adaptable. They find ways to survive on really desolate land. Um, and so that becomes the challenge is how do we as people continue to allow them to have their space 
without bringing them in and putting them in these government holding facilities, which are very small and not the life of a wild horse that wanders. They, they usually eat a blade of grass and walk 10 miles to the next one. And in the government holding facility, they, you know, they eat hay and they stand around. They don't, their fitness is, is um, declines, their general health declines. Um, so the way we keep wild horses is, is needs to be changed. Um, my belief is that the law could be adjusted because the system itself is failing the wild horses dramatically uh, to put, to have 50,000 plus standing in government holding facilities without freedom or family or familiar way of life. They're, we're creating a huge disservice to the wild horse. How do we keep them on the range? Can we use birth control and other ways to slow their rate of population growth? Can we change how the ranges are managed? I believe we can. It takes an act of Congress. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> and it's possible. And it's, just, it's such a small piece of public land management that I believe it just doesn't get the uh, the attention or the time that it really requires for such a large issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's system, it's system. It's a growing population on the earth. It, it's, a, it's also things that affect a lot of our wild lands and our wild animals is how much more can we grow into their space and expect them to <laughs> survive? Right. Yeah. You know, um, Tracy, having been involved in, in rescue work myself when I was running a, a veterinary hospital down in Southwest Louisiana and mm-hmm. having volunteered at uh, rescue mi- with rescue missions after tornadoes and hurricanes and things of that nature, Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that work can be very taxing. It can bring about burnout. Oh yeah. Um, and I know that you work to maintain that balance and, and take care of yourself. You know, how can we as a population, you know, the person listening to, to your story here, how can we best help the effort, the plight of the wild horse right now? Love and light. And by that, I mean, there's a lot of negative energy around what to do about the wild horse. There's not a lot of cooperation happening around the wild horse. It's very contradictory to how the wild horses function themselves. And the horses are the victims. The horses are the ones that get in short, the short end of the stick while we fight about it. Mm. So how do we stop fighting about it? Love and light. And that's not an easy place to be that. I mean, it should be, it, it could be an easy place to be if we were more intentional about working together in -hmm. relationship with horses, with people, with education, with, um, with, uh, we, we work with the BLM in this area. Um, I'm certified with the DART projector to do birth control on a range here in Colorado and the, the particular field office we work with, they work with us. Um, there are certain pieces that, that are not negotiable. And we find out what those pieces are. And we find the places where we can be worked with. And so 
maintaining a good relationship also until we can change something about it is also really important because the people who manage those horses, that's who manages the horses. How do we work with them? So our, you know, I, I always look at, you know, how can I support it? You know, should I write to my legislators? Should I donate money? You know, I always look at it from that angle because Mm -hmm. so often, you know, we can be so far removed from these situations, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and yet it's going on. Yes. You know, any quick tips on that? Yeah, it is challenging, especially when we start looking at what the land looks like here and what the land looks like where you are. And so we want, you know, I'm sure I know there's a lot of people in the East where there's a lot of grass who say, why can't they live on a million acres? Education, becoming wise Mm. to all the parts of wild horses. Um, Social media media does a terrible disservice to it. Um, People can just get on and post ugly things without enough information to back up their ugly things. And that's the, again, that, that, that doesn't add love and light to it. Um, yes. Calling Congress because Congress is in office in one of those places where it's really green. And what they hear is save our wild horses, save our wild horses, save our wild horses, but that's all they hear. They don't hear why the wild mm-hmm. horses need to be saved. And then when they hear there's a, so then they get these messages from the BLM that says there's a drought and we need to emergency gather these horses. They go, Oh, the public is saying save all wild horses. And the need is because of a drought. So here's the money for the emergency gather. Not everybody understands the process. And I believe education is probably one of the greatest ways to start to understand the process and then give intelligent, educated, uh, comments to Congress, to the people who make the decisions about the laws and things like that. Mm, yeah, I know social media can work against a movement so quickly. So mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, that's just a great reminder to check your facts. Check your facts. Yeah, absolutely. That And, the, and it, it can be, it doesn't, and we don't have to invite people to go super deep. But be realistic about it. Um, there was a gather, one of the emergency gathers that happened in Colorado, truly emergency. Um, 60% of the range was burned. Mm. So there's nothing for them to eat. The water tainted by ash and soot and who knows what, uh, when the fire is running down the hill and, and then the water's running down the hill, there truly is no there was no forage for the horses. Well, then this comments are, well, they're removing the horses so the cattle can have what's left. And I'm like, no, there's no cows there either because they had to remove the cattle because there's no forage for anyone. Mm-hmm. And then there are deer and elk that live there as well. They're going to move themselves because there's nothing to eat. I can't speak for all gathers, but that's what is happening is people are making blanket statements on all gathering of wild horses. And in certain cases, it needs to happen. And mm-hmm. we're not looking at it as case by case. We're looking at it as one big thing. I don't think that's wise. I don't feel that that's wise. Yeah. So again, it's about get the details, get yeah. the facts. Yep. You know, I, I think of Dragnet. When he used to say, just the facts, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's right. Well, we do that too. And that is exactly the line we use. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. <laughs> yeah, true. Tracy, thank you for sharing your wit and your wisdom with us here today about uh, the wild horses. And before we go, please tell them how they may contact you or learn more about you and your oh, yeah, operation yeah. here at your sanctuary. You bet. I We, we do... Um, tours at the sanctuary where people can come and meet the wild horses and be able to touch them and interact with them and, and learn about wild horses and all the different things that make them um, exceptional creatures. And then what happens to them when they come off the ranges? So the questions and the information is there so that you can learn and have some facts when you go out and start advocating for wild horses because you put your hands on one. Um, we do sponsorships of our herd that lives here full time. We do coaching and wonderful team building and year long programs that have really taken off. Thanks to our friend, Laura, and you can reach us, um, either by going to the website of www.steadfastdeeds.org, or, um, uh, you can find us on Facebook. It's steadfast deeds, making amazing memories with America's Mustangs. Great. I urge everyone listening to this to check them out. They have a wonderful operation and you can learn, learn, learn. I yes. love it. Yes. Thank you again, Tracy. Uh, you're welcome. Take care. Thanks for having me.